Good morning, Iwoo. Happy Friday. Wow. I'm so thankful it's Friday. I'm sure you guys are too. I want to tell you a little bit about myself when I was a child. When I was little, I was incredibly curious, as I'm sure a lot of you guys were as well. I liked to know where we were going, what we were gonna, what we were gonna do, how we were getting there, when we were going. I, there was nothing that I didn't want to know, detail-wise, about what was going on, even if it was the most random thing. It didn't matter, I needed to know. I remember one summer we were up at my aunt and uncle's lake house and I must have been asking a ridiculous amount of questions because my aunt looked at me and said something along the lines of, you've asked way too many questions and you've hit your limit for today. No more questions. She was hilarious, so I thought it was funny, but I couldn't wrap my mind around the fact that she was annoyed at my questions. Even, even, even through that, it was so hard for me not to ask any more questions, even the seemingly irrelevant ones. I didn't get it. I didn't get why she didn't want to answer any more of my questions. But let me tell you, all it took was one summer as a camp counselor to cure me of wanting to play the question game. I think my favorite one was this sweet 10-year-old girl that I had one week. And she got up in the middle of morning session. We were like, we were in the second row, so we were right up front. She got up on the, from the other end of our row, stepped over everyone and all their stuff, and the speaker was speaking, it was quiet, like, if, if she was getting up, it had to be urgent, right? It had to be something urgent. And so I was curious as to what she had to say. Um, but she walked up to me, and she bent over, and she says this, what's for lunch on Friday? <laughs> and I'm like, I couldn't help but laugh a little bit, and I told her to go back and sit down. Because in my mind, I'm like, it's Wednesday morning at 10 a.m., we haven't eaten lunch today, we haven't eaten lunch tomorrow. Why are you thinking about lunch on Friday? I could tell you a million more stories like that, as I'm sure a lot of you could as well. But I think it reveals something about us as human beings. We don't like uncertainty. Even as adults, we're full of questions. Whether we not we uh, choose to voice them is another thing. But we don't like it. We don't like the uncertainty. We don't like the unknown. We we want answers for our questions, and we spend so much of our time searching for that. But the truth is that life brings a lot of unanswerable questions. Julia read a very small snippet of the story of Abraham's calling, and I wish I had time to unpack the entire story, but we'd be here for a while. Um, I want to reread, though, a couple verses um, from the first passage in Genesis. It says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Before I get into this, I want to clarify something. Abram and Abraham are the same person. Um, in Genesis 17, God changed Abram's name to Abraham. Um, his original name means uh, exalted father, whereas his new name means a father of a multitude in Hebrew. This name was a representation of, the, um, of how he was going to be used by God. And so for the sake of avoiding um, confusion, mostly for myself, 
I'm going to refer to him as Abraham for this morning. Now, if I was in Abraham's shoes, it wouldn't take me long to have a lot of questions. Maybe it's just me. I like to think I'm spontaneous, but I don't really know that I am. I'm like, okay, all right, God, you're calling me from this familiar place that I know, from this place that I've lived, and I don't have tons of uncertainty about. And you're calling me to go completely away from there to some place I've never been before and leave my home and take with me only, he took Lot and Sarah with him. And so if I was, if I was him, I would say to God, I'm going to need more details. I think I'm going to need less questions and more answers. But that's not how Abraham responded. If we go on to the next verse, verse 4, it says, So Abraham went as the Lord had told him. That's it. God called. Abraham went. You see, verses 2 through 4 are then filled with the promises that God makes to Abraham if he is obedient to his call. They say, I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. But how was it that Abraham was able to trust God's promises? Life is full of promises. There are big promises like marriage vows. There are smaller promises like agreements to meet deadlines. We make those all the time. Um, and there are some that we don't even realize are promises, like, I'll be right back. But the problem is that some of these promises become broken promises, and some of these promises are empty promises. We are too often hurt by promises. So how, in a world full of broken promises, was Abraham able to trust God's promises? The second passage Julia read was from Hebrews 11, and verse 8 says this. By faith Abraham obeyed, and when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. The answer is by faith. By faith Abraham obeyed. By faith Abraham went to live in the land of the promise. By faith Sarah received the power to conceive. By faith Abraham offered up Isaac, by faith. You might be thinking, that's a lot of faith. I have faith, but I also have moments of lack of faith and doubts. So did Abraham. His first doubt came when a famine came over the land that he was called to. And instead of trusting God and staying, standing firm in um, the promise that God gave to him, he deviated from God's calling, and he went to live in Egypt. He started to focus. He took his focus off of the promises that God made to him, the call God gave him, and started focusing on his circumstances. There are plenty of times where I have put a hold on a call that God has put on my life. And I think it can be easy to do that because we're able to convince ourselves that it's a temporary hold, that we're putting a hold on what God has called us to with intentions to pick it back up when the circumstances allow. The problem is that what once 
was a temporary deviation becomes a permanent pass. For instance, maybe God has been nudging you to make a decision about something. And whatever that something is, you're hesitant because of financial reasons. So you say, not yet, not yet, not yet. But are you ever going to be completely confident and comfortable saying yes? Or perhaps it's someone that you're feeling called to share your faith with. And you just feel like the timing is never right. So you say, not yet, not yet, not yet. And so it gets put on the back burner until you realize that deep down, you were worried about the, sur the circumstances surrounding it. And that's why you said, not yet, not yet, not yet. Instead of remembering that God transcends those circumstantial fears. A second doubt that Abraham had came when God revealed that the nation he promised for Abraham was going to be through Sarah, Sarah birthing a child at the age of 90 plus. How did Abraham respond to that? He fell on his face and laughed at God. But God didn't waver because of Abraham's doubt in this seemingly impossible promise. He didn't say, hmm, you're right, I didn't think about that. No, God showed us in both circumstances that our lack of faith and doubts cannot hinder God's purposes in the world. Now, our doubts may not hinder God's purposes in the world, but we do miss out on something pretty amazing when we spend more time questioning God than trusting him. That thing that we miss out on is the peace that God promise us, promises along the way. This peace goes with you when you're stepping boldly into a call that God has placed on your life. And it doesn't depend on circumstances, which is why it's amazing. I don't know how many of you have felt this type of peace before, but it's incredible, it's supernatural, and it's nothing that we, can, uh, we can't experience it outside of God. I want to tell you a story. Some of you know parts of this story, some of you might have heard all this story. Um, but my sophomore year, I was planning on living in scripture with all my best friends, basically. Um, and I was so excited about it until a few weeks before spring break, when out of nowhere I started to feel like that wasn't where I was supposed to go. I tried so hard to pinpoint why. What, what is underneath this uncertainty that I've been feeling? But it didn't seem to have a source. So I attributed it to many things. Stress of change, stress of school, stress of housing. But, but not to God, because in my mind it didn't logically make sense. I thought that over time it would dissipate, I would regain my excitement, and I would completely lose all the insecurities that I had. But I didn't. In fact, it just grew and grew and grew and grew until I couldn't take it anymore. Two weeks after that had started, I finally said, okay, I can't do this anymore. Um, I, was, I wasn't necessarily saying, okay, God, I trust you. I guess you have something for me here. But I was completely worn down and exhausted from the emotions that had followed me through that entire process. So that's not the end of the story. Three days later, Megan Williams, who was my hall chaplain and the future student body chaplain, texted me. 
and she said, I have a question for you. Do you have a minute to talk? And I was like, sure. I don't know. I had no idea what she was going to say, but I agreed to meet with her that night. She, we sat down, and she looked at me, and she said, I know this is incredibly last minute, and I know that you're planning on living in scripture, but hear me out. And I said, I'm all yours. Essentially, what had happened and what she began to explain to me was that as the chapel office was hiring resident chaplains for the following year, things didn't exactly go as they had originally planned. And all of a sudden, they had a spot for a resident chaplain unfilled in Martin Hall, where I had decided that I had been called to stay. Megan didn't know this. I told her my side of the story, explained to her a little bit where I was coming from, and I will never forget the look on her face and the feelings that I felt when I felt like this was it. So she had no idea what was going on in my life, and I did not have being a chaplain on the radar of my life either. This conversation ended by her saying, I totally understand if you want to take some time to think and pray about it. And my response to her was, I have been. I just didn't know that this was it. A few weeks later, I was hired for the position, and I have absolutely no other explanation for this whole, the way this whole thing played out besides the fact that it was God. And I don't tell this story to say, look what I did. Look what this step of faith that I took on my own did for me. Absolutely not. But look what God did. Look what God can do when we choose to trust him. When we choose to step in faith without full knowledge of the grand scheme plans for our life. So where do we go from here? There are so many things that I've learned about stepping through faith through that um, as it has continually played out through the next years of my life. But I want to break it down into a couple things that have impacted my life the most. First off, when you take steps of faith, don't expect them to exclusively appear in that area of your life. Don't expect the fruit of that to specifically appear in that area of your life. When I made that decision to follow what I maybe felt God calling me to, I, I expected the fruit to be in the peace that I felt in that decision or in some of the relationships that I built. And maybe I wouldn't see any observable outputs of that fruit. What I didn't expect was for it to be in the opportunity to, opportunity to do ministry alongside some of the greatest people I've ever met. I, so be aware, I want to encourage you to be aware and watch for when your steps of faith produce fruit in other areas of your life. Because God doesn't operate solely within the limits of our imagination. The second thing that I learned was that your acts of faith don't just impact you, but also those around you. This is something that it's taken me all the way until earlier this year to realize. My decision to switch housing last minute hurt people. And seemingly, I, it was for no concrete reasons, which didn't help. And while I am 138% sure that that was the right decision, that was what I needed to, do, needed to do, to this day I have not completely forgiven myself for the hurt that I caused people. But in a conversation earlier this year with one of the girls, 
She thanked me for following what I felt God calling me to, without knowing my guilt. She went on to tell me about some very specific ways that God has blessed her through that decision, through the deviation from what our plan had been, even though it hurt initially. This caught me way off guard, and I think it was because looking back I felt selfish. I felt selfish making a decision that hurt other people, but was seemingly for my benefit. For all my Enneagram people out there, yes, I am a two. And for all of those, the, all those of you who aren't Enneagram people, a two is the helper. Someone who, among many other things, strives to be selfless and to love people, sometimes driven by a fear of being unwanted. But the reality is, in all of that, that choosing God is not selfish. You have the opportunity to be blessed by your steps of faith, and others have the opportunity to be blessed by your faith as well. God will use it to further his purposes in your life and the lives of those around you. If there is one thing I want you to get out of today, it would be that learning to walk by faith occurs by faithfully taking things one step at a time. This year, God has been redefining what it truly means to take things one step at a time in my life. Approaching graduation, there's a lot of decisions that have to be made. And taking things one step at a time doesn't mean taking the next step that you want to take. It doesn't mean taking a step that's two years down the road. Or that's a regret that you have in the back. It means taking the step that's practically right in front of you. What is it that you can decide? What is the decision that is right in front of you right now? That perspective has completely changed my outlook on life. But it's harder sometimes. It's harder because you have to learn to let go of your desire to have control and to stick to the details of the plan that you have created for life. You go from clenching your fists tightly around all the steps that you have planned out perfectly to a T to loosely holding on to the things that are right in front of you. It's like when you go to get laundry from the dryer and you forget your laundry basket. I do it all the time. What do you do? You grab all of it anyways and try to carry it up the stairs or down the hall or wherever you're going, wrapping your arms around the entire heap with a plan to take it all in one trip. The problem is that each time you take a step, you lose a sock, you lose a shirt, you lose something. And not only are you losing stuff along the way, but it's becoming, and it's becoming more inefficient than just going back to get the basket. You can't even see the next step you're supposed to take, that you have to take. You get blinded and you can't see what's in front of you. Similarly, when we hold too tight to our desire to have it all laid out, not only do we miss out on what is in front of us, but we miss out on what God might have for us that is even better. I'm a big journaler. I love to journal my prayers and my thoughts and my feelings. And even better than having that physical outlet of it all is when you get to look back on it years from now and see where you were at. See what it was that God was teaching you. And something pretty special happens when you look at something and realize, these aren't my thoughts. These were things that God had put on my heart in the moment. I couldn't have possibly come up with this on my own. And I have one of those things that I want to share with you today from earlier this semester. You say in Ephesians 2.10 that you walk, that you prepared a good work 
for us to walk in ahead of time. Our perspective requires us to take things one step at a time. But that is a limit that we have as human beings. You, God, are not bound by one step at a time. And that is why we can find peace in knowing that we only have the one step at a time perspective. You don't learn how to ride a bike by signing up for a race. And you don't learn how to walk by faith by turning it into a sprint. So focus on what is practically in front of you as your next step. And hold loosely and take that step before you try to have everything else played out by a T. As awesome as it is to see the fulfillment of God's promises in our lives, we don't always get to. Abraham saw some of the promises fulfilled. He saw a lot of his promises fulfilled. But there are plenty that he didn't see. There, he didn't see everything. Just because he didn't witness it doesn't change the fact that it happened. And it doesn't change the fact that God is not only a promise maker, but a promise keeper. I want to encourage you today to listen for the promises that God is making and connect it to the obedience to which he calls you. And you can do that with confidence because those are promises that he will be keeping. So how is it that God is calling you to step in faith to his promises? Some of you might be hearing God's call for you to follow him for the first time. He promises peace now and an eternity to spend in heaven. Maybe you've been hesitant, not sure that that's what you want. But today, maybe it feels right. Take that step towards him in faith. Perhaps you're planning a summer to be at home. But God is calling you to take a step and go somewhere else. Or maybe it's the other way around. You're planning to be away from home. But God is calling you to be at home and to serve there. Take that step towards him in faith. I could keep going. There are a number of ways that God might be calling you. But no matter if it's in a relationship with him, your plans for the summer, your career path, no matter what it is, the best way that you can respond is in faith. Faith that leads to obedience, and obedience that allows God the space in your life to work his will, the best will. So as the band leads us, I encourage you to lean in to what it is that God is calling you to today. What is your next step? What are your fears? And what are the promises that God makes to his children? It's time to take God off hold and step into his call.